Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. Today, our guest is Jude Schwalbach. He is Research Associate and Coordinator in Education and Policy at the Heritage Foundation. Jude, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Uh, and I know we've interviewed other people from the Heritage Foundation, but just so the listeners uh, can follow what you guys are doing, can you give the website, because you guys do a lot of in-depth things on a lot of different topics, and I think people should really follow what's going on, and you guys do a great job with that. Oh, uh, thanks. Uh, yeah, so our website's heritage.org. We are a nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C., uh, where we do various research on uh, on, on policy, I, I think specifically on education policy, but I feel, I feel like Heritage hit the whole gambit. So uh, if you have any policy questions, they're definitely a great resource for you. Yeah, I can't, I can't agree more. And I think people should really follow what uh, you guys are doing on a variety of topics because other, the world's full of uh, a lot of misinformation. You guys do a good job of kind of cutting through all the garbage. So thanks for doing that. You wrote an article recently. Uh, it's called The Collaboration Between the CDC and the Teachers Union Doesn't Help Our Kids. Can you talk a little bit uh, when it comes to COVID, how the CDC and the Teachers Union, which we're talking a science entity and an education entity, were kind of collaborating on ways that uh, really have hurt our children over the last year? Yeah, so I, I think this this really captures uh, what what the, the whole crux of the issue is that when CDC guidelines are taken nearly verbatim from language suggested by powerful teachers unions, it diminishes the public trust in our civil institutions. Uh, parents, the, the biggest stakeholders in education, uh, do not have the political clout to affect CDC reopening guidelines, yet uh, teachers seem to have a direct line to policymakers in the upper echelons of the CDC. Uh, so what what had happened was that uh, the CDC and uh, high-level e- uh, uh, teacher union bosses had been exchanging emails. Uh, these these emails were obtained by a nonprofit watchdog group called the Americans for Public Trust uh, through a FOIA request. And basically, they obtained these email exchanges between them. And what they found was that the the uh, the teachers union, the, a- the AFC, had described themselves as the CDC's thought partner in terms of reopening re- reopening schools. Uh, and the, the emails revealed that, uh, that that Kelly Troutner, the American Feder- Federation of Teachers, senior director of health issues, she she'd, uh, suggested that a certain certain caveats to be included, like in the event of high community transmission results uh, from new variants of COVID. Uh, that there should be certain updates uh, to the guidelines. And uh, Troutner's language was actually included in the CDC's final guidance on page 22, uh, that those words precisely. And uh, th- there's, there's some other guidelines pertaining to special remote opportunities for teachers who are high risk or who maybe live with someone that's high risk. And uh, while that wasn't a verbatim, that they didn't make it verbatim into the rules uh, or the guidelines, excuse me, um, some very similar language appeared uh, in, in, a, in a certain paragraph. And when Randy Weingarten, the president of the American Federation for Teachers, was sort of confronted uh, with this, she brushed it off as uh, routine correspondence between the teachers union and uh, the CDC. 
but I think that sort of that, that that's the uh, the crux of the issue is that it is just routine. Uh, the it, it illustrates that, that this routine correspondence illustrates uh, the all too common occurrence of teachers unions lobbying setting the tone for agency guidelines. Um, and it, it, you know, collective bargaining and politics have gone hand in glove for a long time. But I think what's what's frustrating, especially for parents, is that unlike unionized workers in the private sector, uh, teachers union members, uh, those are those are government jobs and their bosses are elected officials. And this means that they can wield a lot of power in elections because the unions are trying to, you know, they're, they're electing their own bosses and to ensure as much as possible that uh, they have bargaining out allies when they come to the table to uh, advance teachers' interests. Um, well, you talk so about, a, in, in your article, you talk about how the teachers' unions in 2019 and 2020 gave almost $7 million to Democratic uh, people running for office, right? That's right. And, you know, Republican candidates only re- received less than 2% of that amount. <laughs> um, and I'm surprised uh, they got so, so, Say that again. I said, I'm surprised, I surprised they got that they got. Yeah, I'm surprised they got anything. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I was too, to be totally honest. And so, so they're definitely very involved in politics and making sure that the interests of their teachers are advanced. But sometimes uh, this is done to the detriment of what's best uh, for children in education. For, for instance, uh, they have long used their political clout to stifle innovations in the U.S. education system, such as charter schools or school choice or maybe some hybrid options. Uh, and they, they, they've supported political candidates that staunchly oppose those reforms. Um, and the, the reason these reforms are blocked is because, uh, you know, expanded education opportunity for families means that, uh, you know, your, your district school teachers are going to have greater competition when it comes to when it comes to uh, teaching jobs. Um, yeah. And, and the unions, I mean, if, if you follow what the unions do, right, they want to fund systems. They're not funding children. Right. They're trying to fund their machine and, and line their pockets. And, you know, you were mentioning before, you know, how, uh, you know, Weingart said that, you know, this is common practice. She also says in an interview that I saw with C- I think it was with C-SPAN that the previous administration didn't do this. So this isn't just as common as she's making it. This is the Biden administration directly trying to influence what's going on in our schools and tying them to the CDC. Aren't, isn't that what's happening? The, C, the CDC is certainly taking, is certainly listening to the teachers unions. That's what those emails made clear. Uh, and, you know, I think what's concerning is that, you know, teachers unions have this political clout that they're willing to, to wield, uh, but parents don't. And I think the best solution to this is to make sure that parents have greater opportunity through things like private school scholarships or open enrollment or education savings accounts. These are all policies that would empower parents and allow parents to have far more, uh, a much larger role in their children's education. Because as things currently stand, if you can't afford a private school, uh, or, or charter schools aren't nearby, your only option is to go to the local public school, which is uh, in your neighborhood. And you can't attend any 
Uh, it's not even as though you can attend a public school in a neighboring neighborhood if you're not in that zone, which means that you're limited as to where you go to school based on uh, how, how much you can afford to spend on a home. Uh, and, and we know that, uh, you know, that good schools are often in uh, nicer neighborhoods and the not so good schools are often in the not so good neighborhoods. And I think uh, a, a great equalizer here would just to be give families far more uh, say in where their children can go to school, because if they're unhappy with teachers or the curriculum at a particular school, or let's say uh, their kid, their, their child is bullied, or uh, may, maybe they just think that another school is a better fit for their kid, they should be able to take, uh, take those education dollars and attend that other school. Uh, so like here, here in DC, we have the DC Opportunity Scholarship Program, which uh, the unions tried to dismantle during the Obama administration. Thankfully, it's still uh, it's still uh, still functioning. But it's a uh, private school scholarships that's lottery based. So all these kids that are low income can put their put their name in the hat, so to speak. And whoever's name is pulled out, they they you know they get a scholarship to a private school uh, in the in the D.C. area, which is a great opportunity because D.C. schools are some of the worst in the nation, and uh, some of them are dangerous. And this this at least allows some children to attend a school that's better for them uh, or take open enrollment, which is a great policy. So basically it would allow you to attend any public school within your school, in your school district, as a, instead of uh, having to attend the school, which your home is zoned for. Uh, and that's a great, and it, that makes total sense because uh, families pay the same taxes, no matter where they live in the district. Uh, so they, 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 you know, they shouldn't be restricted as to which school they pick uh, based on wh where their home is in that zone. Or charter schools are another great example, or education savings account, which I personally think are the best option. Education savings account, you, can't, you can use that your account to pay for tuition at a private school, but it's really versatile. You could use it to pay for curriculum or books or e even transportation or uniforms. And you can really tailor your education with education savings accounts. To fit your child, uh, and it's not a one-size-fits-all by any means. The problem you have is when you have an administration in bed with a union, then they don't really care about the kids. As you mentioned, you know it doesn't really help our kids. But during this COVID crisis, there was article after article with kids failing, grades doing poorly, uh, you know, trying to do online learning. If I mean, I wasn't the greatest student in the world, but if it had been online learning, I'd still be in school, you know, thirty years later. I mean, it's really. <laughs> It really is ridiculous how they cared so little about the children. The teachers jumped to the front of the line for vaccinations. Uh, if you looked at cities like Chicago and New York, they basically said, we're not going back to work. Um, look, I have a daughter who's a teacher, who's a, a, a religious, but teaches. And they you know, go in there and teach the kids. It's, it's about the kids. I don't know why we're so afraid about a, a disease that will really, in the end, very few people, unless you have, uh, you know, a, you know, a bad health situation, is it really that dangerous for you? But we saw these unions cripple cities and cripple kids uh, in terms of educational learning by not putting the kids first and putting themselves and putting the system first. But it's not really just about this either. If you look at, and I'd like to get your thoughts on, you know, it seems like states are trying to take things into their own hands and to basically tell 
the federal government, hey, get out of here. We've seen state after state try to get rid of critical race theory, which we know the Biden administration is trying to push on everybody. Just I think just the other day, the state of Iowa outlawed mask mandates at schools. What are you seeing at the state level where people are just fed up with what's going on federally with this K through 12 uh, education? Well, thankfully, most most education is a state and local issue, and it should stay that way. Uh, federal 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 funding that goes to not including the recent uh, stimulus packages, uh, but the, not including again, yeah, so not including those. But most most states spend uh, more than ninety percent of state funding goes is what funds the schools. Uh, but you're you're right in that I think uh, during this really tr- difficult time of the past year. Um, families have probably, I think, have realized that you know, the teachers' unions represent teachers' interests, not necessarily family or student interests, uh, and th- they're going to put their teachers first. And, and you know that, uh, that that's 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 their job. But I think appropriate, there's been an appropriate rebuke to that in that in the flurry of school choice proposals that have swept through the nation. I think about there, I think there are 30 different proposals in the various states and. Some of these are new tax credit scholarships. Uh, there's some education savings accounts or private school scholarships. And I, I think families are realizing that if they're going to want to have greater educational options for their children, they, they have to seize it. Um, and while, you know, I don't, I, I don't think there are really any family unions or parents unions out there. Uh, I think parents have been really calling their state legislators and saying that they want to have greater educational options. And so, the legislators have been in the various states have been quite responsive to this. And uh, it's about 10 years ago, I think they said like 20, 2010 or 2011 was going to be the year of school choice. Well, golly, I think it's really 2021 because just in the last five months, there have been so many proposals uh, and it's not uncommon to see many proposals in the states uh, on school choice, but the, the game changers that so many have passed, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, West Virginia had a great proposal out there, uh, which offers a, a really massive ESA program, Florida, which historically has always had incredible education choice options, uh, has really been consolidating their programs and expanding them. They have, uh, their, their tax credit scholarship program has the most part, some of the most participants in the nation. So I think, uh, families when the when the educational options meaning the you know the traditional public school uh was no longer available they really had to start looking for other options uh and so i think choice became more popular uh we we see we've seen increases in homeschooling as well uh and then charter schools as well have also offered a great alternative uh to families during this time and so i i really think it's i'm really impressed with families and seeing how excited they've gotten about educational choice and the, the opportunities that come with it. Um, so, so, yeah, yeah I, I think it's it's great that we're seeing uh, all these opportunities expand, and hopefully we'll continue to see them expand in the future. Well, you mentioned, uh, you know, family unions and parent unions and that kind of thing. And in, in, regard, in reality, right, there's no union there. But, hey, vote uh, elections have consequences. People should be voting based on the well-being of their children. And if we remember, you know, the last um, the last 
group that we had in the White House, right? Betsy DeVos was was the head of education, and people vilified her, and she was trying to promote school choice. Now you got Miguel Cardona, who was trying to pump critical race theory into the schools in Connecticut, who was against school choice. People need to understand that elections have consequences, and we need to make sure that people are aware. And that's why I think it's so important about what you're doing and people need to follow what's going on because what's going on in the schools, in the public schools is a travesty. I don't know if you've read the book. Uh, Mary Hassan had a book out, I don't know, it was about a year or two ago called Get Out Now. And she just talks about all the garbage that is being pumped into our kids because not only do they not get a choice, right? They're almost treated like uh, laboratory animals where they're putting critical race theory, gender ideology, and they're pumping these kids full of garbage that is really poisoning our children. I think the thing that, again, the thing that's really the, the key to the situation is just expanding educational opportunity to families. So uh, students, a student-centered education uh, funding. It, it, it's it's just the key because it breaks up the union monopoly and gives parents a greater role in education decision making. It it, it really it really is a game changer. I, so I was actually a teacher for two years in Arizona, and uh, I, I worked at a charter school and taught uh, you know history and government and economics, and you know it was it was really fun working with the kids. But one thing that was really remarkable was that there were there there were so many schools. Uh, and most of the, many of them were charter schools, and I, I some interesting research we've noticed on this is that if a, in, in Arizona that if you have if you have a charter school, you know that you have to do some check-ins to make sure you're meeting benchmarks, uh, and it takes quite a while. I think it's ten or fifteen years. And what they saw there was that when the ten or fifteen year mark rolled around, they weren't closing that many schools in there kind of surprised by that because they figured they'd have more bad schools. Uh, but if you look at the research, what we noticed was parents were shutting down bad schools all on their own within four years of, of a bad school opening. If the school was not teaching what they, what they thought was right, or it just had bad teachers or was poorly managed, parents would just take their kids elsewhere because there were so many charter schools in the area. Uh, so I, I think expanding educational opportunities so that families really have a choice and they're not stuck in a particular particular school and they can take their kids to a school where uh, they think, uh, you know, they think that they like what's being taught and the, uh, the material is good, the teachers are good. And just ha- having that autonomy to really decide where your child goes to school instead of just being stuck in a, in a, in a school because that's where you can afford to buy, a, buy your home or rent. Uh, that, that that just the latter just doesn't seem fair. So I think just expanding those educational opportunities is the key uh, to really improving education because schools will have to compete with each other in that case and be more responsive to parent needs. Um, because if 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 the funding follows the student, you know, I, I, we like to think of it as every kid ha- should have a, a backpack full of cash that they can take to whatever school they like, and you know that's that's their education funding. Uh, and the school they go to gets it. Uh, there, there should be no monopoly on uh, on on education. I, I think the more competition we have in this area, the better all schools will be because they're all working uh, working to get those students, attract them. 
Well, and that's the capitalist system, right? I mean, in the end, when you have a monopoly, you can do whatever you want. And so we see, you know, where there is more competition, whether it's grocery stores or whatever it is, right? You get better pricing, you get better products because people will go to where they want to go. I just saw somebody tweet the other day, and I can't remember what part of the country it is, that their school district just approved the budget, which is basically $18,000 a student is how it all comes out. Imagine if you were talking about what you're doing and people had $18,000 and they said, you pick the school and that's where that money goes. You're absolutely right. But we have uh, a president and we have a lot of, uh, unfortunately, states, Colorado's one of them, that are run by a bunch of liberals who embrace socialism, don't want the school choice because they get too much political money from the unions. And so that's why I think your article is so important. This school choice is huge and where it exists, things are going great. And where it doesn't, you got this quagmire, but how important is it for, and I'd like you to remind parents, they are responsible for their kids' education, right? They're the primary teachers. So they should really put this on the front burner, shouldn't they? Yeah, they definitely should. And I think some really important ways parents can get involved in these their communities and so forth. Because I think all too often, uh, you know, it's 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 easy to not to not be super involved in uh, lo- local politics. But I think that seems to be where most of these changes happen. Because you know, your local school district—that's a local election. Those are local. Uh, th- those are local decisions. And so school board meetings, uh, school board elections, those are all important things that families should really remember to keep in mind. And I, I know it's tough to remember about them because they're, they're always on the off, they're typically on the off year. They're, they're not when all the other elections are going on. So I think it's easy for them to be uh, forgotten about. But, uh, you know, being involved in that way and being involved in your local community and so forth can really help you tune in to what's going on in the classroom. And uh, we, you know, my, my colleague, Jonathan Butcher, he, he's always talking about how the, uh, one, one of the best reforms that we could possibly see at the state level would just be tra- more transparency when it comes to curriculum. As things stand right now, you know, you can't, you have to go, for most states, you have to be, you have to go to a physical school building uh, and v- to, to, view, to view your children's textbooks uh, at the school. And we think that, you know, a better solution to that, that parents, you know, these are, you know, they're taxpayers like everyone else. And this is a public, this should be public information. So, so ideally it should be available online or, uh, or at the very least, you know, opportunities in after school hours when, you know, parents have uh, time off from work to be able to at least view, view their curriculum. And so they know what their kids are learning. Uh, and so hopefully, no, you know, this right. test. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think you're absolutely right because, We've looked, you know, trying to find curriculum online is is almost impossible. But we see in, in school after school, California, different places around the country, right? They're pumping this gender ideology, gender fluidity, and parents have no idea what their kids are learning. Um, and schools in some places are actually eliminating the parent and use and calling their children their preferred pronoun while they're at school and not letting their parents know. So I think transparency is critical, but when you're doing things that are nefarious, you don't like transparency. Yeah, I, I, I think it, I, that's why I think it's so important to be involved, uh, in, in a, 
keeping the school board elections in mind. Because again, most most of these decisions when it comes to curriculum to curriculum or uh, these just district level changes are happening at a pretty local level. There, uh, once in a great while, you see something at the state level, and even uh, it's even more uncommon to see stuff at the federal level. It's, so it's usually uh, very localized, uh, which is but again, which is why these elections and uh, you know the, these meetings are so important because if parents want to be involved, it affects change and uh, you know make sure they're they're satisfied with their children's education and the opportunities that come with that. Uh, it, it takes, I know it's a lot of work, uh, but it, it's, it, it's really important just to be cognizant and, you know, keep keeping an eye out for those local issues. Well, I mean, you know what, if you don't mind your kids getting brainwashed, then I guess you don't have to do anything. But if you actually care about the children, the gifts that we've been given, then doing a little extra work, I mean, look, the more, the more you have to fight for something, the more you value it. And if our, we can't fight for our children. Uh, and we're willing to let them be indoctrinated with all kind of garbage that that is happening throughout the world. Then it really is upon us how we vote. Do we participate in the school board uh, elections? Do we even try to participate and maybe run for a seat on the school board? There's a lot of ways that people can participate. And I think the other thing is to follow what you guys are doing at the Heritage Foundation. You're you are you know digging up kind of some of the nefarious things and, that are happening. Um, that most people aren't even aware of. So, you know, we got about a, a minute and a half. I can't believe, you know, things have gone this fast. But if you could remind people again of your webpage and just how important it is for them to be proactive and not sit back. Yeah, definitely. So, again, I, I think the key here is just expanding educational opportunities uh, for families. And that, that that's the best way to do that is when the, the you know, education dollars follow the children. Uh, and you can learn more about this at heritage.org, especially if you go look up our uh, education center, which is called the Center for Education Policy. Uh, myself and my colleagues are all on Twitter, uh, but we, we also publish articles through Daily Signal, so you can view them there. Yeah, and we've talked uh, about we did, a, we did a whole show on critical race theory, and he did a very good job of explaining kind of what's going on but you're right you know people need to understand school choice they need to understand transparency but they're going to understand that by following groups like yourself who are really doing this every day kind of digging up the nuggets so people know what to do we certainly do our best but i think the most uh the, the, the most the most change you're going to to see is at the local level so it's just important to stay in tune to those local issues and what's going on at your, uh, in the schools near you. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.